Hi, I'm Valerie Moisel. Over 20 years ago, I co-founded my company with a creative spark, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a fearless attitude. I've long dreamed of sharing a space where I can interview successful women and hear them talk from their hearts about how they found their way. What I'm learning is it's not such a linear path. We all have what I call the four S's, the initial spark, the snag which trips you up, the shift that helps you find your way to the final S, success. No, not always in that order, and yes, sometimes the steps repeat. Together, we will learn from each other and be inspired. These are women who rule. This is She Dynasty. So today we're going to be chatting with Paige Adams-Geller, owner, creator, and creative director of the incredibly successful brand Paige. Paige is sold in over 100 countries and can be found in many, many high-end department stores, boutiques, and by the end of 2018, Paige will have 18 of her own retail stores because of the demand. She is also currently setting up a European headquarters in London. Here's my favorite part. Paige was the first female founder in the premium denim industry. I'm super excited to hear her story. Before we meet her, though, let me introduce today's co-host, Sienna Beauchard. Sienna is Paige's current assistant, of course, the perfect person to collaborate with on this interview. Sienna is 19 years old from Utah and is incredibly interested in the fashion industry. Hi, Sienna. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. First time podcaster? First timer. Love it. Well, thank you for joining us today and being so bold and, you know, trying to do this for the first time. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. So tell us, how did you meet Paige and how did you get this incredible job and opportunity with her? So I knew of the brand before I met her. I was selling um, the product at the Sundance General Store um, and my mom had been the assistant buyer and manager. Meanwhile, I was dying to meet her and I loved her. And Paige had come to Sundance for a weekend and she actually ended up waking me up for my Sunday nap. Wow. So. <laughs> Where were you napping? At my house. Oh, at your house. I see. You were at her house and you woke her up. Got my it. mom surprised me. Oh, nice. Very cool. So you guys met? We met and I told her that I would love to work for her one day and being the generous woman that she is, she told me to work really hard in school and um, apply for an internship that following summer once I graduated high school. So I did that and I got an internship merchandising um, in the department stores. And then around October of last year, her assistant was leaving and I was on my way back to finish college in Utah. The stars aligned and she asked me to stay. Oh my <laughs> gosh. So you guys met years before. She planted the seed of you possibly working for her someday, and you followed through. Totally. And you got the job. Miracles happen. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, there's, that's a testament to you that you followed through. So oh, kudos you. to you for doing that. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, I know that you work with Paige on a day-to-day -day basis, and you probably know her really well. I'm excited to dig a little deeper and learn more. And at the end of the podcast, um, I'll have you ask her a few questions as well. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Awesome. Hi, Paige. Thank you for being here today. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you are a guest. Uh, you know, when we sit down and make a list of kind of our dream women to be on She Dynasty, you were on the list from the very beginning. 
I'm a huge fan of your brand. My husband, I think, owns every pair of jeans that you've (laughs) ever made. He sat for probably about 10 minutes yesterday and explained to me why they were so good and why the fit was so right. And so it's a really important part of our household. So thank you. Thank you. That makes me feel so good. So I know that your brand has evolved quite a bit and you know now you're a full-blown lifestyle brand and we're going to get into that. I know you started as a denim brand and not a lot of brands have been able to kind of break through and you've, you know, really accomplished that goal. But before we get into that, I want to hear a little bit about Young Page. What kind of kid were you? Oh my gosh, I was um, a really inquisitive kid. We lived in California until I was about five years old and then we moved up to Alaska but I'll never forget like oh my mom loved to watch soap operas and I would watch the soap operas with her and I dream about like this world of like what Erica Kane on all my children like lived in and think oh my god that's so glamorous that's so cool she's like running this empire like that could be so amazing someday and then we moved to Alaska and everything was different. And what was so crazy about that is I always liked to wear dresses and was like a really feminine little girl and like was really into fashion and clothes. And my mom at the age of five said, we're moving up to Alaska and we have to buy some winter clothes and you have to get some corduroy and some jeans and some sweaters. And she took me to a store and said that I had to pick out my outfits and I literally threw a temper tantrum fell on the floor crying and said, I will never wear jeans. They are ugly. Oh, my gosh. How ironic. (laughs) So it cracks me up. So you weren't a jean girl as a kid. I was not a jean girl. I liked little pantsuits, dresses, like, you know, maybe corduroy, but, like, not jeans. And so it was funny, but I loved fashion, and I loved glamour, and I loved, like, this whole world. And we moved to Alaska. We lived in the middle of nowhere. And um, I would take out books on the weekends because I didn't really have friends to play with. And I always loved school. So I'd like try to educate myself or just like live vicariously through these books that I would check out on the library. So I'd curl up in front of the fireplace when it was snowing in the wintertime and I'd read, 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 read. And I'd dream about like all of the places around the world that I wanted to visit someday and wanted to know what it would be like to be in their shoes. So I think I always had like really big dreams, really big plans. At times I wanted to be an actress or a model or a singer. And you know, that's like really, I was like very, but I was always in this creative zone. Right, so you were very ambitious, very young. You Mm -hmm. kind of dreamed big. Yep. Awesome, were you a popular kid? Mm, That one's questionable. I feel like when I was going through my like young years in school, I was raised a grade. And I was younger than everyone else in school, so it was a little bit weird. And I don't think people knew how to take me. And then we moved to another school, and I had to start over again. And then I was the youngest kid in class, and I was the smartest kid in class. So I think I was always kind of like the nerdy, smart kid and wasn't necessarily popular. And then when it came to sports and when it came to PE, I was terrible. So I was like the kid that everybody like chose last on the team. I was like, ugh, we'll take Paige. And it was mortifying for me. I was humiliating. And then I went through this phase of being really chubby and overweight and, like, stuffing my feelings when there was a lot of stuff that was going on in my household. And so it even made me more unpopular. So I was, like, the kind of, like, overweight, pudgy, smart kid. And then you moved on to doing teen pageants as you got a bit older? 
Yeah, so it was a weird transition. It doesn't make no sense. It's like, oh, my God, you know, she's going from overweight, pudgy, you know, young, smart kid to, like, why would she all of a sudden want to do pageants? Yeah, I was trying to figure out that transition when I read that. Yeah, strange. So my mom was always very glamorous. She, like, looked like Linda Evans on Dynasty. You know, she loved clothes. She loved fashion. She loved doing her hair. She loved makeup. And she became involved in Alaska in the Miss Alaska pageant. And I'd always go to her pageant meetings and to the local pageants with her. And I'd watch these women on stage and go, oh, my God, they're so glamorous. They're, like, so beautiful. It's like I love these sparkly gowns. And they're talking about going to college and getting an education. And there was so much that I was, like, mesmerized by. And they had talent. And they would sing and perform and dance. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then if they won the Miss Alaska pageant, they got out of Alaska and got a chance to go see what the world looked like somewhere else. So that was exciting to you. So it was exciting to me. It was a little bit of like a ticket of what it might look like on the other side. So if I entered this world, I might have a way out of living in Alaska. And so was your mom a pageant contestant, or was she just working with the organization? No, never. My mom actually got married when she was like 16. Oh, wow. And she had children at 17. And so you have siblings. Like I have siblings, an older brother and an older sister. But um, my mom, you know, grew up in Utah. She met my dad when he was going to college. I think that my mom lived vicariously through me. So a lot of the things that I think my mom wished that she could have done, she wanted to give me the opportunity to do. Right. So what age were you when you started doing the pageants? My first pageant was, wow, the age of 13. And it's so funny to think about because I didn't enter the pageant thinking that I was doing something in the realm of a beauty pageant. I was more interested in like the scholarship aspect of it. And I was mesmerized by the fact that these girls um, seemed to be really good communicators and could give speeches and were really good at being in front of audiences and that there was talent involved and that your education mattered and your grades mattered. So more than thinking about like what a swimsuit competition or what an evening gown would look like, I was thinking more about like, ooh, this is almost like an, like almost if I thought about like um, American Idol back in the day, there wasn't anything like that at the time. So it's like, I can perform and sing. I can show that I have a smart brain and smart mind and maybe this is my ticket somewhere else. Right, and this began to change your self-image of how you looked at yourself and how you perceived yourself? It did. It's kind of funny because when I think about pageants today, they kind of are dorky and there's like a little bit of a negative connotation towards what they represent. But when you're from a small town and that's your way of like finding and broadening your horizons and really learning so much more about life. It's a big deal. It was a big deal. It was so interesting because when I used to get called Miss Piggy and Pudgy Pagey, I didn't have a negative self-image when it came to being the smartest kid in the class but I had a negative image when it came to how I looked and in order to gain more confidence I thought that I guess I probably put a little bit more um, pressure on myself to think about my body image and instead of stuffing my feelings I tried to find a healthier outlet so instead of like when I got upset like going home and just like eating ice cream and cookies and wallowing in self-pity I started to work out And then I started to do, like, Jane Fonda aerobics. Then I started to teach Jane Fonda aerobics to, like, 
kids that were younger than me. And then I started feeling better about myself and then engaging in the pageants and then getting to perform and sing and find an outlet for my creativity. So what I found is something that like I didn't expect was that I would start to feel better about myself because I had this creative outlet, yet I was taking care of like almost in a sense body, mind, and spirit before even realizing that I was taking care of body, mind, and spirit. Right. So the pendulum now swung completely the other way. It did. And you started to really think about what you were eating and your self-image and really putting yourself out there in a different way. Yeah, and then creating goals for myself that were goals that I wanted to hit that would make me feel good about myself. And then I understand that this kind of took a turn for the worse. There was a snag that kind of came up at this point. You started to have a different relationship with food. Yeah, um, unfortunately I did. I mean, for a while, this trajectory that I was on was great. I was winning pageants. I was getting to go internationally to go perform and sing. And I was seeing new parts of the country. I got a chance to go to Europe. I'd never been to Europe and be an ambassador for one of the pageants. There were so many positive things that were going on in my life. Embracing like this new way of taking care of my body was all super positive. I lost weight, started looking and feeling better and thinking about all these opportunities that might lie ahead for me in the future that I had never thought of before. I actually had an opportunity to graduate high school at the age of 16. So I graduated young. I finished school with honors. I was Miss Teen Alaska, America's Junior Miss at the time, and then actually went to New York to model and got offered a modeling contract with Elite. And what's so crazy, I was in their petite division, and like I'm 5'8", but you had to be like 5'10", 5'11", back then. But it eventually took a turn for the worst. You know, it, it I started getting obsessed with um, food and how much I weighed because when I was going on auditions, I was constantly getting ridiculed with like wanting and being needed to fit into a size zero, a size two, because the samples were that I can't small. even imagine the pressure that comes with that. I mean, you hear the story so many times that it's just unbelievable. That's a reality that models deal with. It's crazy. And then on top of that, like being told I was too big, even though I was like, I think 104 pounds and 5'8 at the time, I was getting told I was too big. But then to kind of top it off, my I'll never forget actually one of the first interviews I ever went to. My mom took me to the interview and I went into the owner's office and the office, the owner actually said to me, um, here you go, this is what I need you to try on. And I said, oh, where's the restroom? And he said, oh, why do you need the restroom? Why don't you just drop your clothes right here? He's like, if, you, like, if you're too shy and that's too much to ask, then you know, you're not right for the job. And that was like one of my first experiences ever in the modeling world and right away it was like this old man who looked like my father's age asking me to just be naked in his office and you were 16 16 wow yeah and my mom was waiting in the other room and it was just really uncomfortable and that was like the beginning of like what happened to me for years yes i mean you hear that story all the time it's the thing that's crazy is that if that would happen today it would be a very different climate Mm -hmm. and back then for some reason it was more acceptable do you think the pressures are similar today with models needing to be so thin or has that changed since you know you obviously deal with models a lot in your industry fortunately it's finally changing this is like the first time that i'm actually seeing 
a movement that is different. It's like people talked about it a lot, like for the last 30 years. And like every once in a while, they'll embrace a plus size model and then like go back to the old way. But um, on the runways, you're actually seeing different size models and you're seeing curvier models. And on Instagram, especially brands are embracing inclusivity. And, you know, it's something that I've always been super passionate about. So I feel like this is like this new liberation of feminist positivity instead of sounding like a negative angry woman like ridiculing everyone around them it's women embracing other women going oh my god we're going to show how gorgeous curves can be we're going to show how amazing this can look and so it's taken on a new era and i'm super jazzed about it me too so what happens next so i'm in new york for quite a few months and i started to get a little bit thinner and thinner and was going through this difficult time with what was expected of me and what was getting asked of me that I was not super comfortable with and started to think about do I want my education or do I want to stay in New York and I really started to think that the best thing for me since I always knew of myself as a scholar would be to focus on getting a good education so I had actually been admitted into USC and was excited about the thought about going to college and work on my mind and thought maybe I would leave New York and leave the industry. So I went home to Alaska before I was getting ready to go to college. And an ex-boyfriend-ish, family friend-ish, like someone that was like a lot older than me and someone that I was uncomfortable being around like dating seriously, he was in love with me, basically asked if I could meet him before I went away to college because he really, really, really wanted to see me. And I finally agreed to see him. And at that point in time, by agreeing to see him, he just wanted to say goodbye. He picked me up and that night ended up changing my life forever because I was actually a victim of rape. Wow. And, you know, I know it's kind of a crazy question, but how did you process that right when it happened? Did you deal with it? Did you tell anybody? I did not process it. I think I went into an absolute um, outer body experience. I was petrified. I didn't understand why this happened. He dropped me off at my house, and I feel like all I could think about was, what did I do that was my fault? Why did I go with him? He had stalked me for a while. Why did I agree to see him? He was a lot older than me. I should have known better. Like, was I stupid for going? Like, there was all these obsessive thoughts that went through my mind, and I thought, why did I do this? Like, I felt like there was danger. Intuitively, I knew something didn't feel right, but I was trying to be nice and, like, be like, okay, yeah, I I just can see you before I I leave town. No big deal. And um, I didn't tell Soul. And actually... That was a really, really scary time for me because I didn't tell a soul. He just kind of went on with his life like nothing happened? I think he did. I don't really know because I eventually just left and went to college and pretended like it never happened and didn't tell anybody. But that's not really the healthiest thing for a person to do. So what I've learned the hard way is that secrets make you sick. And when you keep a secret like that, you don't talk about it, you don't tell anybody, you think that it's your fault and you punish yourself, you get into an abusive relationship with yourself. So that was like one of the things that that eventually caught up with me, but I ignored it for a long time and pretended it didn't happen. There's something that happened later on in my life when I was on a modeling job that I was actually attacked in the workplace. And that moment, 14 years later of keeping a secret, 
is a moment that changed my life forever because I finally actually decided to go get help and deal with everything. I was fit modeling at the time and had a contract and was attacked in the workplace and I was actually dating my husband now and he had a daughter that was 16. And when I was attacked and I luckily got away, um, I went home and like was coiled up on the bathroom floor like reliving everything that happened to me at the age of 16, which I'd kept in silence. And while I was going through this process, I started thinking about my boyfriend's 16-year-old daughter and thought, oh my God, if I were giving advice to her, I would tell her to go tell someone and get help. And that was a life-changing moment for me. And I, and, I, and I actually went to the rape treatment center and got help and took on my attacker and found my voice. So fast forward to learning to find that voice from that experience, which was one of the most horrific experiences of my life, helped me at this level in my career. Everything kind of like started to heal and everything started to make sense. And there was more self-love. And I think in that time of, of, of like loving myself and caring enough about myself to embrace my voice, it, it literally made me feel like I needed to do that in my company. And I had to do it for the team of people that I was empowering and, and, and hiring and that were working for me. Like I felt responsible for them. You know, there's so many women that probably are listening that have, you know, experienced what you have gone through. And again, it's a little bit of a different time. It seems that um, it's more acceptable now to kind of come forward and to talk about it. Um, you know, back then it was probably less. And, you know, people also are dealing with, you know, what does that mean for me and how people are going to perceive me? And just this idea of, you know, be, you know, asking the questions of how did I put myself in this situation? Why did I deserve this? You know, those are, those are tough questions that are impossible to answer. What's so hard is that back then um, at the age of 16, there was First of all, there was no rape foundation, there was no rape treatment center, there was no trauma center, there was no website, there was no, uh, there was nothing. Like there was like, maybe you call a hospital locally, but there was no ho local hospital. I lived in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. There was literally nowhere to go. There was no online hotline because there was no computer. So it was a very different time. And then aside from that, I was Alaska's junior miss at the time. And all I kept thinking is, if I go to the police and I go say something, I'm going to be on the news. Of course. It's, it's going to be... impact your life even more of an exponential way than it already has. Yeah. And then I would probably look like the bad guy. Like, I would probably look like I did something wrong because that's... Well, that's probably the reason happened. why so many people don't want to come forward is yeah. because they worry about the stigma that comes with it. It's so true. And what do you have to say to people that are in that, per that situation right now? Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, like... I think about this so often now, and I and I feel like there's nothing that you should feel guilty about. It is never your fault. You can even be drinking, and it's not your fault because you didn't give consent. Your body's your body. You have the right to say yes or no. You have the right to change your mind. You have the right to literally own everything about you. And so when I think about it now, I, I would say immediately, if this happens to you, go get help immediately because evidence will be on you and you don't want the evidence to get washed off. So the sooner you go to get help, there's going to be amazing people there to support you. Yeah, it's a different time now and there's so much support that's available yeah. to people. Tell a friend, go find a place to get help and go to that local rape treatment center or rape crisis center. 
And so I understand that as a result of this, your eating disorder started to spiral. It did. So if I go backtrack to the age of 16 and this happening right before I went to college, um, my eating disorder started to spiral and I had a really difficult time through school. It seemed on the outside like I had it all together, still got great grades in school, embraced like the best of myself that I could embrace while I was in that place and pretty much um, kept it a secret, had problems with intimacy. You know, eventually after college, when I got attacked in the workplace when I was a fit model is actually when everything came to a head because uh, there had been 14 years of keeping a secret, 14 years of like, like feeling like something was my fault and being in this industry where things were expected of me in the entertainment industry or acting or modeling industry that I didn't want to agree to. So saying no, being in this like very um, destructive environment. Um, but during that like downward spiral of, of getting too thin and, and having a, a difficult time in the industry, it was a rough time. I can imagine. The reason that I wanted to go into so much detail about this is because you have dealt with two of the most difficult things that a human being can deal with, rape and an eating disorder. And you have overcome and you have, you know, built something so successful. I don't know you really well, but from everything I've seen and the little time that I've spent with you, you seem like one of the most incredibly inspirational, delightful people. So, you. you know, I think that that's what's so important about telling your story is for, you know, for those who feel like something so bad has happened that you can overcome and you're sitting in front of me and you're, you know, proof of that. So it's super inspirational. Thank you. I feel like one of the lessons that I I try to let other people feel is that lemons in a lemonade. It's like, it's true. If I hadn't gone through some of the experiences that I've been through, I literally wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have become a really great fit model if I wouldn't have suffered from an eating disorder. Like what makes me good at what I do is the pain that I went through. Um, Same thing with being attacked in the workplace. Like as a model, being attacked in the workplace and being a victim of rape, I am super aware of empowering others and making sure that others feel like they're in a safe work environment. Like that is like the passion that drives me. Pretty amazing when you feel like you have a company filled with mostly women. So I would say like 90%, 95% of my company's women. And feeling that a lot of them are the breadwinners for their families and their homes. And knowing that they're in this safe work environment and they get to go home and feel good, hopefully, about their work and what they're doing. I think it's really what drives me on a daily basis. Amazing. I love that. Let's fast forward. So after college now, you graduate from USC. Yes. And you now move into being a fit model. Yes. And for those who might not know what a fit model is, can you explain that? Sure. I didn't even know what a fit model was. A fit model is someone who, based on their measurements, is a true size and becomes a live form for designers to design clothes off of. So it's not really glamorous. It's like you're hired based on like your physique to be a size six or a size four or a size eight 
or a size 27 or 8 for a brand. And fit models come in different ages, and, and there's also petite fit models. So what's awesome about a fit model is you can be like 70 years old, and if there's a clothing brand targeted towards 70-year-old women, they'll hire a 70-year-old fit model to try on the clothes because they want to know what a 70-year-old model like needs when she's getting dressed and like what she feels good in. And so I understand that you became a fit model for some of the largest denim brands. You worked with Lucky Brand Jeans for Seven for All Mankind, Hardtail, True Religion, Citizens of Humanity. You were kind of the go-to girl. Yeah, it was crazy. So after um, starting to get on a healthy trajectory and like feeling good about myself and comfortable in my own skin and realizing that being in front of the camera wasn't probably meant to be at that particular stage because I was trying to get healthy from this crazy world and anorexia. Um, When I fell into this, it was awesome. Like, it was so good to be able to show up to work and be able to try on clothes and be embraced for what it is that I needed to be embraced for. Like being, like if I got too skinny, they'd be like, go home, eat a hamburger, come back, have a milkshake. So I got to work for some of the best startup companies that were happening in LA in this premium denim movement. And these are brands that blew up to be huge. They did. And it was so fun to be the common denominator of all these brands, be the body that they actually fit the clothes on and the clothes that were fit were selling and they were successful. And I heard you were quite opinionated when uh, people were putting the clothes on you. I was. I didn't expect that I would because I really didn't understand this whole world of fit modeling that much. And so when these male designers would be like putting the clothes on me and they'd say, what do you think about that? And they'd be looking at the fit. I'd I'd look at myself in the mirror based on this body dysmorphia that I had. And I'd go, oh, my God, my hips look so big. And I'd be like, if you just move this down here and if you just move the belt loops in or if you just put the seam here, I'm going to look like 10 pounds thinner, maybe five. Right, because you know your body and yeah. you know what makes you look good by looking yeah. by looking in the mirror it's true so but they they listened to you they did and I loved it and they had so much fun it was like it, it was really like design 101 because this benefited you down the road tell us why <laughs> it did it's so funny it's like I've always been one to think that every job that I am in I should give it a thousand percent. So even though being a fit model wasn't super glamorous, it wasn't me being a recording star, a theatrical star, I wasn't starring in a movie, like I was just going to work, showing up, doing my job. I was giving it a hundred percent and listening and paying attention. And little did I know that after, you know, years of being a really successful fit model and getting paid a lot of money to do it, which was really a benefit, I went to this life coach and was like, oh, I'm kind of feeling like stale. I feel like I need to really find my purpose and my passion in life. And I've given it my all. I think I'm maxed out at what I could benefit from in this career. Like, what do you think's next? And she's like, oh, my God, I think you should think about starting your own clothing line. And so you, like, you got that idea from a life coach? Yeah, yeah. I went to a life coach, which is crazy. And the life coach said, I don't think going back in front of the camera is in your best interest as far as acting and singing and modeling. It's like, I think your passion is, you love fashion and your purpose is helping others feel good about themselves. So if you put those two together and you start your own company and your own brand, oh my God, this would be amazing. 
Yeah, I think um, what you said a few minutes ago was a very teachable moment that no matter what you're doing, it's important to give it 110% just because you never know where that's going to lead you, right? So the fact that you were there and you were listening and you were attentive and you were engaged and you were participating in a way that was probably above and beyond probably gave you the power and the knowledge to be where you are today. Thank you. I I feel so strongly about that. I've been in a job or you know, doing pageant stuff going, where is this really ultimately going to take me? But I've always believed that if you give everything 100%, everything will like take you to the next place and you never know who you're going to meet along the way. So important, right? And I was doing like this random thing one day, singing the national anthem at Hollywood Park Racetrack. And when I was singing the national anthem at Hollywood Park Racetrack is when I met the woman who actually asked me to come into audition to become a fit model. And then I thought to myself, well, I don't want to be a fit model. I've been Miss California and I'm singing and I've been in bands and why do I want to go do this job but literally that changed my life forever and just showing up suiting up doing your best you never know where it's going to take opens you opens other doors for sure mm-hmm. and the life coach who recommended that you start your own clothing brand was this the first time that you had ever even thought that that could be an idea for you to pursue yeah i know a lot of people probably don't believe this but it is truth i mean i talk kind of as a And an overarching theme is like when I was little, I had this dream of running an empire. But I really wasn't thinking about that when I was fit modeling. And when that seed was planted, I went, I can't do this. I've never taken business classes in, in school. But literally, I went home and started thinking about it and was like, holy cow. Like, this is actually kind of brilliant because if I can think of a reason for a clothing brand to be that was different than what was out in the market this might be the aha shift moment of my life. Right. So this was the true shift. This woman basically gave you this idea and you went home, you got excited, and a brand was born. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so 2004, you start Paige Denim and you decide to take on the big boys here. You're (laughs) bold. I mean, you again are the first woman founder of a premium denim brand. That's a big deal. That is such she dynasty material. I can't even stand (laughs) it. So I'm so inspired by that. Were you nervous? Were you scared? Like, how do you just start a denim brand with all these giant brands that are like already taking over the world? My God, I was petrified. But I think there's something about my personality. When I get my mind set to something, I try to literally put blinders on and just go down my path. But it was petrifying. I literally resigned from all of the jobs I was fitting for in June 2004, started the company July 1st, 2004, and showed my collection at the first Coterie in September 2004. I was on the fast track, and it was frightening. But it was kind of like major hostess anxiety. I showed up at the booth to show my collection, and then boom, it was like there was a line. There was like stadium seating of people wanting to see the collection because they had heard the fit model that's behind all of the best-selling denim brands out there is starting her own line. But that's such an interesting angle. I mean, already you had like an interesting hook for people to want to see what this meant. It was a new way in. It was a new idea. Thank you. So what happened next? 
wow, needed a bigger boat. What was so crazy is we wrote more orders at that show than we had projected for the year. And that was like mind-blowing to me because I'm like, oh my God, I had no idea that we'd get this much business out of the gate. And then we had to go to the factories and try to start getting the factories to manufacture the goods. And a lot of them put blocks up, roadblocks. They said, we can't work with you because we're working with this brand and this brand. And they said, if we work with you, they're going to pull all of our business. And that was frightening and terrifying. But I'm like, wait a minute, I've got hard orders. Here they are right here, please. Like, I'm I'm in it for the long haul. But they were like, mm, we just kind of heard that you're like a model that started your own brand. And I think you're like going to be a one-hit wonder. And we don't really think this is going to have longevity. You're just playing off of the story. And I'm like, nope. I've taken a lot in. I'm a really smart woman. And I've surrounded myself with experts. I have a feeling that you're going to have, like, it's kind of like Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman. Big mistake. Big mistake. Please take these orders because I'm going to fulfill. You believed in yourself. And I'm loyal. I really believed in myself and it felt really good because I felt like I think this is, like, what I'm meant to be doing. It's everything I've ever loved wrapped up into one package, plus everything that I talked about with doing my best along the way summed up into the perfect package. I'm like, oh, my God, I get to do everything everything I love and use my mind. So you hit another snag because there's this huge stigma around the fact that you're a model starting a denim brand. Yeah. And people are feeling like you can't do it. How could she possibly be smart enough to launch a brand? Totally. And you don't care. You overcome and just kind of keep going after it. And, you know, the one common thread that I keep hearing over and over again from all the women that I interview is when people say no, you just keep going and you don't stop <laughs> and eventually the no's start turning to yes and i think it takes a very certain kind of person to be able to push through that you know having an entrepreneurial spirit is is a thing it's a it's something you're either born with or you're not and if you're the kind of person that when you get a no you get discouraged and you stop then you know starting a brand or a company is definitely you know not the right place for you but you just have to think about it as this person's not ready for me yet and I'm going to keep going until it's my time. It's kind of wild. I think it's like going back to flashback, like overcoming adversity. I think that that life-changing moment for me being attacked in the workplace and thinking like if I was my best friend, would I ask for them to go get help and get better and try to speak up and overcome adversity? I would. And so when I did that for myself and took care of myself and found my voice and started embracing my voice, that's when I took on a different level of confidence than I ever had before. And I think even starting Paige gave me a greater voice of being able to like really feel that I could empower others and empower myself through empowering others. Yeah, you know, I when I read your questionnaire, um, you know, usually when we approach someone to be on She Dynasty, we send out a questionnaire and you answered. I was really taken back by one of the answers that you put on there. The first question I ask is, what is the accomplishment that you're most proud of? And you wrote that um, one of them was really creating a safe work environment. And I was you know, a little taken back by that just because it's not the typical answer that I see. But as I read on and I understood, you know, kind of the trauma that you had gone through and how important that was to you, 
it was really meaningful and it was really a new perspective on you know what's important to someone so i think that's again an incredible accomplishment thank, thank you, you. Very teary eyed thinking about that. It's very cool. And now you have this incredible company, as you said, you employ many, many women and for them to feel safe in the workplace and have such a strong leader who has a voice and teaches them and inspires them to have a voice. I mean, I want to come work for you. Thank you. Love it. You're more than welcome. Okay, so now you are full-blown in the denim business, getting orders, successful, growing. Everyone knows the denim business is tough. Competition is fierce. How do you stay relevant? How do you stay current? How do you not become a one-hit wonder in the denim business? That's such a good question, and thank you for asking it. It's Yeah, denim is a vicious uh, category. There were 65 denim brands that launched at the same time that Paige launched, and I think Paige is the only one standing in that year. And 65 brands? Yeah, and at Coterie. And, and you're the last you're the woman, woman standing. standing. Yeah. Oh, my God, I love <laughs> Which that. Which is crazy, and I think that how we stay relevant is always finding something to talk about and making sure that you're always bettering yourself. And so what's interesting is I remember I remember being told initially that a denim brand can only be a denim brand. And again, I can't stand hearing the word only, this is all, this is it. You can't. This is the way it's done. You can't. And I'm like, no, I really want this to be a lifestyle brand for men and women. And oh, you can't have a brand that's a woman's brand that has a woman's name that will ever resonate with men. And I'm like, yeah, my husband will attest to that. <laughs> I'm going to go show you his closet in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so the the ideal goal was to stay relevant, was to eventually expand into a lifestyle brand, so build other categories, wovens and silks and dresses and lifestyle for women, and then do the same for men. And then um, what's been so much fun, we launched paid shoes. I know, so I saw. Now we're actually neck to toe. For women, and hopefully by next fall, we'll be neck to toe for men. That's very exciting. Thank you. I think what's been um, a value to our success is taking it one step at a time and actually becoming an expert in the next category. So instead of trying to be everything to everybody out of the gate, which a lot of other brands have success with, but in denim, it's so specific. Denim buyers are buying denim, and they don't really want to like look at other things. I think it like helped by like building slowly, and I think that slow and steady wins the race. So starting with denim, and then denim and wovens, and then denim and wovens and outerwear, and then you know like little bits at a time keeps you interesting to the public because like you're always reinventing yourself with something new. When was the first moment that you kind of thought to yourself, "Wow"? I did it. I made it. We've made it. I don't know. I don't know if I ever really think that because I feel like I'm always striving to be better. And it's like your expectation resets every time you hit a new exactly. level, right? Exactly. I'm always like, what's next? What's next? I mean, there might be a moment that I feel like super good and proud and then I'll go, okay, what do I got to do next? It's like, I'm almost scared. It's almost probably like an actor or an actress that gets a movie and the movie goes out and, and like it's a big splash and they're like, oh my God, what's the next big movie? I got to top that. Like that's the way my mind works and I'm always trying to top so I never feel super complacent ever but I do have to admit that you know there's times that I'm walking up to the building at page headquarters and like I see my name and I'm like 
oh my god, this like building is Paige, and then like now in London there's like Paige headquarters, and it hits every once in a while at these weird surreal moments, or you're just walking along like the street in Florence, Italy, and like you see Paige head to toe on someone, and you're like, oh my god, just makes your day. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, what's your leadership style? My leadership style is all about being kind and loving. Like, I don't believe in negative energy. I feel like negative energy breeds toxicity. And so I try my best to encourage and envelop others with loving kindness. Obviously, constructive criticism needs to come into the play. But I feel like if you're positive and then you give constructive criticism and then you end it positive again, like the sandwich kind of effect, it's so much better and people can hear you better. If you start right in with negativity, I can't hear it. If someone goes straight to the bad news to me, I'm like, I can't hear anything else after that. So I I try to embrace others with loving kindness because that's really how I want to be treated. What kind of qualities do you look for when you interview someone for a job at Page? Wow, it's so crazy. I'm definitely a connector. I need to feel energy. And I mean, it sounds hippy-dippy and trippy, but it's not. It's like, I really feel like I want someone to be ambitious, someone to be a team player, someone not afraid to get their hands dirty, not to be a prima donna, and then to have like positive energy and like really want to be willing to like try anything. I feel like that's really important. And then I always ask them two questions if they, well, the most important questions that they like dogs because I bring my dogs to work and London pretty much goes to work all the time, my little multifoo. So if they don't like dogs, I'm almost a little worried that they're not my tribe and then they're out. Fit in a page. <laughs> well, you and I are in the same boat. I have a dog I bring to work every day as well. And I understand that your intuition is your guiding force and you just touched on that for a second. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have a checklist to making decisions. I have always gone down the wrong path when I try to think too much about like oh I should do this and I get myself into trouble every time or they really want me to do this or they're asking me to make this decision I really need to drop into being quiet with myself and drop into authenticity so like the most important thing to me is is it authentic like does this feel true to the brand does this feel true to me does this feel right? So have you ever been in a situation where you kind of, you knew your like your gut was telling you not to make the decision, but you did and it didn't turn out how you wanted? Absolutely. I mean, I can go back to that decision when I was 16 years old about going, I don't think I should get into the car and I don't think I should see this person who's been stalking me and I don't feel like this felt safe and it didn't. And I can go back into thinking about decisions made in business that like all of a sudden, oh, the biggest trend right now is um, really masculine, hard, rigid denim done in dirty washes. And I don't feel like that's a page customer. It's like that's the girl's page girl's feminine, sexy, got a little bit of rock and roll in her, like totally like not that girl. And because that's super trending, I'll feel like I'm going to lose the order from the department store and we might need the business. And so I'll say, yeah, of course, I'll do it. And it doesn't sell. It sucks. The paid, the it's a customer. hard decision to yeah. make because you have to stay authentic and true to your customer, but you still have 
the department stores that you have to answer to as well. It's true. And they're like, we're standing for this trend in a big way. But then literally, if it doesn't sell, they'll make you take it back anyway. So I just spent all the money, time and energy on something that I didn't believe in to begin with, but and then had to take it back. So it never really does work. It doesn't ever work if I get that guttural feeling that it doesn't feel right for the brand or when someone asks me to do a speaking event or some kind of engagement that doesn't feel right. Every single time I have questioned it, it hasn't been a good So staying authentic, the brand is important to what your vision is and what your dream is is very important. Yes. Beautiful. And any specific actionable advice you would give to someone listening who is excited about starting a clothing brand right now? Ooh, yeah. Actionable advice is... um, Make sure you feel like you have a reason to be. Like what is the missing niche in that category that gives you a place to have a voice? Like what's your story basically? What's your story? Yeah, it has to. You have to find that 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 missing link and like be able to do it. Do your homework. Do tons of research. Make sure that you know your area. I know that sounds like super simple, but you need to do your homework. Um, and then you need to go out and ask for help if you don't know what you're doing and make sure that you get as much knowledge because knowledge is power. And my last question is, what does success mean to you ultimately? (laughs) I think, you know, it's so funny. I think about like when I die, which is a morbid thought, but I think what would I want my tombstone to say? And it's like, I would want people to say that she was a really kind and generous person. She paid it forward and she made a difference in my life. Like, honestly, that's what matters to me. And whether I made a difference in someone's life, whether it's that I helped them in their career with supporting their families, or it was I mentored someone who I cared about and helped them through a crisis, like, or my family I was kind and loving to and spent good quality time with them and was a good person to be around. I think that's ultimately what makes me tick and is my passion in life. So I always want to be successful in my business so I can give back and pay it forward. Like that's ultimately not the bottom line in numbers. Great, if I do well and the company makes a lot of money, that means I get to help more people. So that's the driving force, not the dollar amount. Well, Paige, thank you so much for being a part of She Dynasty. We're really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Perfect. And I'm going to bring Sienna back over to chat with you, ask you a question or two. Hello. Um, I just wanted to know how often you set new goals for yourself or like reevaluate where you are. It's a really good question. I don't know if I have a timeline of when I set new goals for myself, but I start to feel that whenever I get too complacent, like, oh, I'm just cruising along, life is great, that that's the time when I need to go, okay, what's next? Because I feel like if you start to get too comfortable when you have a brand and with your company, that there's always someone else hungrier that's going to come and bite you in the butt. So once I start to get too comfortable, it's like, okay, time to set what's next. I like it. Um, my last question is a little more fun. Um, I wanted to know what the, like your favorite piece that you've ever designed or created was. Oh, God. She has to pick one. That's Ah, tough. That's like picking a favorite child. (laughs) I'm like, that's dangerous. Um, oh, my favorite piece ever. 
Oh my God, I would have to say I'm such a fan of Leopard. What's so crazy is it's so silly and so simple, but my rock and roll alter ego loves Leopard so much that the Cleobel silk blouse in Leopard with the scarf tie at the neck is like my ultimate rock and roll dream top. And yeah, I think it's probably one of my favorite pieces ever, which makes... And Leopard comes back in like yeah. once every year, every other year, right? Yeah, so. it's always in. And so it's like just one of those things that's classic. Right, it's one of but those I fall, never pe- get tired. fall pieces yeah. that you have to have. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to thank you for everything that you've like provided for me and given me and taught me along this crazy journey. Um, you're like the most amazing woman that I know. So I'm just honored to be your assistant and I love you. Aww. Thank you. I love you too. Can I ask you a question? Yes. What's been um, the most challenging part about being my assistant? You're on the spot there. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's ever been an issue of being your assistant. I think it was just being in LA. Um, that's a good one being away from like what's comfortable and like putting myself out of my comfort zone but it's been the most amazing ride that makes a lot of sense it's tough like coming to a new city and having to like be on your own and learn a whole new career so I reward you and honor you for taking on that challenge and saying yes when I asked if you'd be my assistant and she jumped right in with like such a positive attitude so she inspires me and I want people to know that like I love being around positive energy and she inspires me on a daily basis and when I'm having hard times she lifts me up so right. thank so you and I'm that. expecting you to be on this side of the mic in about 10 years from now okay <laughs> I love that okay perfect that. I'm gonna take you up on that okay done Awesome. Well, thank you both for being here today. Thank you so much.